Hi, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud with It's Miss Sadie. And by some miracle, I got a back-to-back episode for you. So if you haven't listened to the first part of this, I would highly recommend that you go and listen to that first and then, you know, come and hang out with me over here. Today, we're doing Twitter Files for Dummies Part 2, How Twitter and the Intelligence Community Became Bedfellows which is how Congress and the FBI applied pressure on Twitter to comply with moderation requests. Now, let's take a moment. Let's travel back in time uh, after the flood of leftist tears because Trump won the election, okay? Look, if you don't get that reference, I, I don't know if we can be friends anymore. I mean, I'll be friends with you, but, you know. Anyways, let's move on. So leading up to and after the 2016 election, there were reported warnings and concerns that Russian interference ultimately is what led to Trump winning the election. And Hillary made sure to emphasize that she lost the election due to Russian interference and Trump was not a legitimate president. It had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that she was just a really bad candidate and super annoying. Anyway, I digress. During the Women for Women International Luncheon in 2016, Clinton said Russian President Vladimir Putin certainly interfered with our election, and it was designed to hurt her, help her opponent, and that Trump took advantage of the situation. In August 2017, Facebook suspended 300 accounts for suspected Russian origin. Following the announcement of the suspension of those accounts, Twitter also analyzed its platform looking for any accounts of Russian origin, you know, just wanting to do their due diligence, make sure that their platform was up to par. They found that they had less than 25 accounts that could be of Russian origin, and therefore there was not a big concern with Twitter having a Russian problem like Facebook. However, The Senate's Intelligence Committee was concerned about possible Russian interference on social media platforms overall and requested a meeting with Twitter executives on that issue. Following a scant review in September 2017, Twitter informed the Senate Intelligence Committee that it suspended 22 possible Russian accounts and 179 others with possible links to those accounts amid a more extensive set of roughly 2,700 suspects that were manually examined. But Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, was not happy with these numbers. Guess they didn't demonstrate enough of an issue of Russian interference on Twitter to support the claim of interference. So Warner held a press conference calling the report, quote, frankly, inadequate on every level. It became clear to Twitter that Warner was not going to let this go. Public Policy VP Colin Crowell wrote in an email, quote, Warner has a political incentive to keep this issue at the top of the news. Maintain pressure on us and the rest of the industry to keep producing material for them. End quote. Pressure from the Democrats and the press continued to mount, leading Twitter to form a Russia task force. The task force, working off of shared data from Facebook, looked for accounts that could be tied to Russia's Internet Research Agency. This is a Russian online propaganda like bot or troll farm, and they influence their operation is to influence on behalf of Russian businesses and political interests. 
After a thorough review of the 2,700 accounts that included several manual reviews and a model update that lowered its precision but produced greater results, you know, like just kind of like lowering the bar, making things easier, Twitter found, quote, 32 suspicious accounts that only 17 of those were connected to Russia. Only two of those have significant spend, one of which is Russia Today, and the remaining is less than 10000 in spend. Like, they're talking about, like, spending in advertisement. But uh, this was unacceptable. Warner and the Intelligence Committee wanted results. It didn't matter how many reviews Twitter conducted, what parameters they set in their review. If the numbers didn't satisfy Warner and the Intelligence Committee, any results that Twitter provided were not going to be accepted. At the same time that the Intelligence Committee was putting on pressure, so was the press. Politico reported in October 2017, quote, Twitter has deleted tweets and other user data of potentially irreplaceable value to investigators probing Russia's suspected manipulation of the social media platform during the 2016 election, according to current and former government cybersecurity officials, end quote. Now, I just want to put an emphasis on there. No individual or name is given, simply the generic current and former government cybersecurity officials. Like, you can't pinpoint or go back and find exactly who they talk to. It's just this general person in this realm of government bureaucracy that's just given their opinion. No name. The Washington Post reported that social media platforms would face potential legislation that would affect their political advertising, a significant source of revenue at the time. Feeling the pressure, Twitter, quote, pledged to work with them, which is the Senate staff, on their desire to legislate, and then removed Russia Today and Sputnik from the platform and started to make product and ad policy changes. I think this is about the time where they started restricting whether or not political ads could be on Twitter. Anyway, but the Intelligence Committee was fixated on numbers. They did not care about Twitter's cooperation. They wanted to see more significant numbers of Russian origin accounts. They wanted to see a problem where a problem did not exist. And to force Twitter's hand, the Intelligence Committee leaked the base list of 2,700 accounts. Following the leak, reporters from everywhere started to call Twitter, wanting to know like what was up with these 2,700 accounts. BuzzFeed, working with the University of Sheffield, contacted Twitter and claimed to find a, quote, new network on Twitter that had, quote, close connections to Russian-linked bot accounts. Twitter, in their evaluations, manual evaluations, saw nothing to support this. The Senate Intelligence Committee wanted numbers. They wanted Twitter to increase moderation and to know what happened with these 2,700 accounts, the majority of which Twitter had already determined through an extensive audit were not of Russian origin. When the committee didn't get the results it wanted, it threatened legislation and leaked information leading to the press piling on the pressure. Eventually, Twitter buckled and apologized for the same accounts they'd initially told the Senate were not a problem. And to appease our federal government, they adopted a public and private policy. Publicly, according to all of Twitter's documentation in terms of service, Twitter removed content at their sole discretion. Still privately, it would, quote, offboard any accounts that were, quote, identified by the U.S. intelligence community as a state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations, end quote, formalizing their partnership with the U.S. intelligence community. It's at this time 
that Elvis enters the building. And no, it isn't like wordplay. I'm not joking around here. There is an actual FBI agent named Elvis that plays a pretty significant role in the whole Twitter files saga. But he kind of he'll show up and I'll mention him a little bit later. According to a December 17th, 2020 declaration, Yoel Roth, remember, he's like the head of safety or something like that. I can't remember his title. Anyways, um, he states, quote, since 2018, I have had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security, end quote. And these meetings included the FBI, which would be San Francisco FBI agent Elvis Chan. In February 2020, as COVID broke out, the State Department's analytic intelligence arm was formed called Global Engagement Center, or the GEC. So the GEC went to the media with a report called, quote, Russian disinformation apparatus taking advantage of coronavirus concerns, end quote. This led to several headlines, such as, quote, Russia-linked disinformation campaign led to coronavirus alarm, U.S. says, and a Politico story about how, quote, Russian, Chinese, Iran disinformation narratives echo one another, end quote. Then the GEC wanted to publicize a list of 5,500 accounts based on DHS data that it claimed would, quote, amplify Chinese propaganda and disinformation about COVID. It's at about this point that Roth saw GEC's move as an attempt by the GEC to use intel from other agencies to insert themselves into the content moderation club that included Twitter, Facebook, the FBI, DHS, and others. Twitter saw the GEC, which is part of the State Department, as being leaky, and that they would use these leaks to muscle its way into the regular industry call. Not the best way to make friends, if you ask me. But this was just one of the reasons that Twitter did not want them on these industry calls. Also, it took issue with the GEC's mandate for offensive information operations to promote American interests. Like, it essentially, Twitter had a problem with the State Department promoting American interests, which is what the State Department's supposed to do. But anyways, I, like, I'm getting sidetracked. So Twitter's pushing back on a government agency. And you might be thinking, wow. That's kind of cool. Well, if you are even remotely impressed with the fact that Twitter did not want to cooperate with a government agency, I suggest that you slow your roll. Because in an email written by Yoel Roth, he exposed his primary concern, which was the perception that unlike other agencies such as the FBI and DHS, which Roth saw apolitical, <laughs> which is freaking hilarious, but whatever, the GEC, the State Department, was political, which appears to be code for partisan. I guess the State Department's close ties with the Trump administration make it too Trumpy for Yule's taste, and it would pose, quote, major risks to bring the GEC in, quote, especially as the election heats up. Now, Twitter... Like Yoel Roth, all of the heads of Twitter are just kind of, they're just really concerned. They do not want the GEC at the table. This is a, a like a classic, like, you can't sit with us situation. So Twitter voiced its concerns about including the GEC in regular industry calls to its primary contact at the FBI in San Francisco, Agent Elvis Chan, and the Foreign Influence Task Force Unit Chief, Laura Demhol or Demlo. 
Demlo, I think it is. Anyways, Roth emailed Elvis, expressing hope that they could keep the circle of trust small. You know, kind of like a, a meet the Fokker situation. Like, are you within the circle of trust? Like, that's what I'm picturing with the little like hand gesture of making the circle. All right. So Yol's like, yo, Yol is like, yo, <laughs> can we keep this circle of trust small? And then Elvis, he comes in and I'm paraphrasing here, but Elvis says to Yol, yo, Yol, don't fret. It's only going to be like state, NSA, CIA. It's going to be a one-way channel. Like they are on listen mode only. That's that's the only thing that they're interested in. Then in a follow-up email to Yol, Elvis, like he just, he comes in, rhinestone suit, just ready to go. He presents an idea, okay? And he says, I got an idea. How about we make the FBI the belly button of the USG, which is the US government? Meaning, you're like, what the crap? Belly button? That sounds kind of gross. Let me explain. So what he is saying is that the FBI would attend industry calls and then share the information with all of the like intelligence community and the US government. So basically, he would be the conduit to feed the beast, you know, because that's where you get all your nutrition is from your belly button when you're like in, you know, you know, you know what the belly button's for. Although it is unclear who was on the final guest list for these industry calls, Elvis set up a communication channel uh, via signal. In time, Twitter was taking requests from everyone, Treasury, HHS, NSA, FBI, DHS, like literally the entire alphabet soup, and also received personal requests from politicians like Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, you know, like Shifty Schiff, who asked that journalist Paul Sperry be suspended in November 2020 for allegedly spreading QAnon conspiracies and harassment. Twitter did say... Like they pushed back and they were like, we don't do that. However, it says a lot that Schiff was bold enough and comfortable enough to make that request in the first place. It's almost as if maybe there was just a general understanding within the community that Twitter will do favors for the federal government. Now, mind you, Sperry was later suspended. In August of this year, Sperry told conservative commentator Glenn Beck that he was permanently suspended from Twitter in the wake of the FBI search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago club in Palm Beach, Florida. Quote, they kicked me off the day after Trump's home was raided, and I was in the middle of tweeting more about the raid, and I got a message popping up saying I was permanently suspended. No reasons were given, end quote. Following the release of the Twitter files, Sperry suggested that Schiff may have been behind that move, saying, quote, it looks like Schiff's office initially got friction from Twitter's gatekeepers. Still, I was banned just a few months after this request. Twitter was even warned about the publicity surrounding a proposed book by former Ukraine prosecutor Viktor Shokin, who alleged, quote, corruption by the U.S. government, specifically by Joe Biden. It got to the point that Twitter was so overwhelmed with requests from all the alphabet agencies, including politicians, they could not keep the requests straight. Now, remember, at this time, Twitter had already adopted a public and privacy policy. Publicly, Twitter removed content at its sole discretion, and privately, it would offboard any accounts that were identified by the U.S. intelligence community as state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations. So if like an alphabet agency comes and says, yo, this is a problem, Twitter would comply with a moderation request. 
So in summation, what our federal government did in order to muscle its way in and become bedfellows with Twitter was, first of all, they started to put pressure, demanding that they would give results, results that Twitter simply said were not there. When they did not provide that information, the federal government, such as the Senate Intelligence Committee and the GEC, would leak stories to the press. The press would get a hold of this information, and then they would publish it, which would then put added pressure onto Twitter. So it just became, it's its literally a cycle of laundering information and news in order to get Twitter to comply. And eventually, because Twitter has no backbone and no scruples at the time, they simply bended the knee to the federal government and complied and decided to permit the federal government to use them as a tool to moderate U.S. citizens. And the fact that the press seems completely fine to be used as this tool of manipulation, you know, an institution that's supposed to be about the First Amendment and freedom of speech, blows my mind and says a lot about journalism and the press. By the time of the 2020 election, the culture of government cooperation and censorship was well-established. Twitter was working closely with the FBI and filtering and executing requests from all the alphabet agencies from all over the country. I think there is a name for that. It's almost as if Twitter was acting as an agent of the government to censor U.S. citizens. Okay, so that's it for part two. Um, I have yet to record or draft part three, so it's probably going to be a hot minute before it comes out. But part three will be Twitter and the FBI canoodling, I mean collusioning. To make sure that you don't miss that episode, make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcasting app to get notified of the new episode, or that you also subscribe to my Substack at itsmercedes.com, where I also do a weekly News Bites newsletter every Friday or mostly every Friday. If you want a full breakdown and full coverage of the Twitter files, I highly recommend that you go and you follow Matt Taibbi. He is the primary journalist that's been coordinating um, and releasing the Twitter files along with other journalists. And you can subscribe to his Substack and a link to that will be found in the post to this episode on my Substack found at itsmercedes.com. That's a lot of Substacking. Like I just said that a whole lot, but I absolutely love this platform. And if you are not subscribed, you should be. And if you haven't downloaded the app, you need to. So that is it for this episode. If you wanna keep up to date with moment-to-moment news, Twitter files, just general coverage, make sure that you follow me on my Instagram at It's Mercedes, where I cover all of this in-the-moment news in my stories. So if you're following me, make sure you turn on the notifications because, I don't know, Instagram kind of hates me you know, shadow ban, visibility filtering, whatever you want to call it. So that's it. That's all. Go on with your day. I'll see you guys later. I'm done rambling. Later.